today on Ag News Daily. We found like it's really easy to take your turkey tenderloins or a turkey breast and then use it as instead of orange chicken, you can do orange turkey or like different things like that. June 22nd, 2023, Thursday edition of the Ag News Daily podcast. Getting close to the end of another short week, Delaney. We are. You're right. I hadn't even thought about it like that. Yeah, it's uh, what summer is beautiful for. Memorial Day, we had the holiday this week, we got 4th of July coming up, makes uh, the load on the podcast just a little bit lighter. It certainly does, but there's still no shortage of topics to talk about today, Tanner. So what do you say we dig in? Go for it. Well, I like, I'm going to steal your thunder here a little bit, talking about weather to kick things off, because yesterday we saw, of course, crop progress report and conditions. and reflected on that report was the indication, Tanner, that we are officially in an El Nino weather pattern. According to the Climate Prediction Center, they've changed their official status from an El Nino watch to an El Nino advisory on June 8th, which means that the El Nino was being observed in the equatorial Pacific Ocean and was expected to last for at least three months. But they said the Central Pacific is on pace and the atmosphere is changing, but the expectations for better weather across America's Corn Belt have yet to materialize. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Actually, the Farm for Profit podcast gets to talk with Eric Snodgrass a little bit more in depth to expand our interview that we had last Friday here on Ag News Daily. That comes out next Monday, but it's quite interesting to see what patterns are doing right now because they don't seem to be typical. We've still got storms persisting in the eastern part of Colorado and Kansas, which is going to lead to continued flood watches. We see the extreme heat in Texas and Oklahoma continuing to be in our forecast. When you combine uh, those, we have some pretty nasty conditions that could build some severe weather. Still have air quality issues in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan, as now the jet stream, or at least the front, is moving that smoke to different portions of the U.S. coming out of Canadian wildfires. Want to give a quick update because I know everybody's on their edge of their seats in regards to the uh, submarine device, Mm -hmm. the submersible that was headed for the Titanic Search teams are still racing to find the sub before oxygen runs out. Of course, uh, 96 hours of predicted life support. And this device has been missing since Sunday. The dwindling air supply is becoming an issue, but a a site the size of Connecticut is still being searched. Salvage equipment from the U.S. Navy has shown up. That has the capability to receive objects off the ocean floor has now reached Newfoundland and is looking to arrive uh, on site here today. Unidentified sounds, the U.S. Coast Guard is stating that they've not been able to identify the early banging noises that were reported and seen on sonar, but continuing to search. They're uh, potentially looking at remote control vehicles that can search the sea floor. But ultimately, there is still all hands on deck and very little updates at this time, Delaney. It's kind of a scary situation. But Tanner, I don't know about you. I would not be volunteering to get in a device of that kind where they have to physically bolt you into it. 
Yeah, uh, obviously you'd have to be a thrill seeker or somebody uh, that has a different mindset than myself because I don't even <laughs> like splashing in water, let alone being in a device that goes under it. And that's that's very fair. Uh, well, yesterday we got a little bit of a kick in the pants to the renewable fuels industry as the EPA announced a multi-year renewable fuel standard that doesn't give enough boost to the biofuels industry, according to many in the industry. A little bit of background here, Tanner, but the renewable fuels standard was put together about a decade plus ago. And that renewable fuel standard only extended through 2022. And so coming in 2022, of course, the EPA had the ability then to decide what to do with the renewable standard moving forward and the biofuel blending obligation under the renewable standard for 23, 24, and 25. So this is the first rule that the Energy Independence and Security Act of 2007 allowed for the EPA to set their own mandates for blending. But according to the agency's release, the final rule will reduce reliance on oil imports, which of course is the big headline that they're toting, by about 130 to 140,000 barrels of oil per day. But biofuel interest groups say that the EPA's final numbers when it comes to increases or decreases in volume targets for all the different biofuels are not enough. They said this was a missed opportunity to really reduce the reliance that we have on more fossil fuels. And also, according to Emily Score of the Growth Energy, which is a lobbying group that works uh, with legislators to focus on renewable fuels. She said this could have been the opportunity to reduce carbon as well by using blending requirements and opportunities for higher blends like E15. So a lot of disappointment here across the industry, but as you look at volume targets, Tanner, they of course put some forward for not only ethanol, but also cellulosic biofuel, biomass, advanced biofuels, and renewable fuels as well. So here over the next couple of years, we saw for 2023, the agency did increase cellulosic levels from December's proposal. We're now seeing about 0.84 billion gallons. However, the increase or the agency decreased blending obligations for years following with cellulosic fuels and 24 blending obligations sit at 1.09 billion gallons compared to the 1.38 billion gallons that was proposed previously. So all in all, a little bit of a mixed bag here for the biofuels industry. And I don't believe, I don't know this for sure, Tanner, but I'm not sure if in the future we switch administrations, if the EPA has the ability to go back in and counteract anything that was set during this EPA administration, or if this is signed, sealed, and now delivered. I think that they have made changes in the past because we did see an extra 250 million gallons added to the 2023 year to settle a 2016 case reprimand for illegally changing the wow. previous RFS rule. So uh, I believe that there are things, but yes, this uh, story has made it across every agricultural news outlet and getting a lot of responses from those high up, whether it's Corn Growers Association, the American Coalition for Ethanol, like you said, uh, Emily, with growth energy, obviously, it's going to be a big focus. And it's unfortunate that uh, it's not coming out of the expectations. But I did read that it's a minimum. It can still 
result in more based upon demand, whether it's consumer or nationally driven. Uh, it's just a minimum standard as far as that goes. We did see the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service give final approval to three California-based cultivated meat companies. The USDA announced on Wednesday that it issued grants of inspection to Upside Foods, Good Meat, and Good Meat's manufacturing partner, Join Biologics. The companies may begin producing and selling lab-grown chicken. Earlier this month, the USDA approved Good Meat's and Upside to produce labels that include the term cell cultivated chicken for packaging. Last fall, the Food Drug Administration declared the meat product developed by Upside to be safe for human consumption, paving the way for products derived from real animal cells, but that don't require an animal to be slaughtered can now be sold in grocery stores and restaurants. The FSIS spokesperson, told Alt Meat and Meeting Place publication that thorough reviews of every application for this grant of inspection are a very rigorous process and they include the firm's food safety process at the highest levels. Upside plans for its production to be the first available at a restaurant in San Francisco called Bar Cren. Good Meat will also debut in restaurants with acclaimed chef Jose Andres ready to serve in dining rooms of his restaurants of Washington, D.C. The uh, menus are yet to be set, obviously, and it may be years before these companies are ready to supply products regionally to grocery store chains. It was a big step forward on Wednesday, getting the approval from the USDA. You know, the other big thing to note here in reference to this story in particular is that these companies are the first in the U.S. to get official approval. And the United States is just the second country after Singapore to allow these sales of cultivated meats. So we are definitely setting the way here, and I'm sure many other countries will follow suit following the United States's stamp of approval. But... One thing that may not get a lot of approval has been what the USDA and FDA will do when it comes to rules on national security implications of foreign ownership of U.S. assets. Under a bipartisan Senate bill unveiled on Tuesday, this legislation would allow the USDA and the FDA to become members of a powerful U.S. committee that rules on these national security implications of foreign ownership. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., or CFIUS, not sure how they picked that acronym, but it's a long one, Mm -hmm. uh, led by the Treasury, will be considering retroactive divestments of real estate owned by foreign entities. Senator Debbie Stabenow, chairwoman of the Senate Agricultural Committee, and Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa said that their bill would strengthen U.S. oversight of foreign ownership of U.S. ag land. And Tanner, that is a cross-the-party lines bill there, as Senator Stabenow is a Democrat and, of course, Senator Ernst is a Republican. So we're getting bipartisan support on this. But two House committee votes last week blocked or at least heavily taxed farmland purchases by foreign adversaries such as China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. And now we're seeing this um, reciprocated in the Senate, and hopefully we'll see some sort of final movement on this, as I know many of our U.S. producers have asked me, why are foreign investments allowed, Tanner? And I think that's a great question to ask. 
Yeah, it's uh, certainly one we've gotten from our listeners uh, as they reach out to us on social media, which you can find us on about every platform. I've just got some Russia-Ukraine updates and then a fun story coming out of Kansas, a very well-written article by Chris Bennett on AgWeb dictates a find of a lifetime for a Kansas family that discovered an incredible Indian artifact. It is uh, a blade, so a very cool and huge size uh, as far as an artifact goes. It dictates how they were looking on the river for Indian heads and bones and other small artifacts, but came across this blade, which is about the size, Delaney, of uh, your forearm. So a rather large piece, an 8,000-year-old Jasper masterpiece, which is 11 and a half inches long, two and a half inches wide, and three-eighths of an inch thick, made to cut as far as harvesting crops, grass, or other types of agricultural products. So kind of neat find there. Very long story, very well written on AgWeb if our listeners want to go find that. Still continuing to watch uh, Russia and Ukraine. The prime minister of Ukraine is confident that Kiev will receive the recovery money that it needs. Obviously, the U.S. announced yesterday its additional support. <clears throat> the bridge connecting Ukraine's southern Kyrgyzstan region with the Crimea Peninsula was damaged by shelling overnight. The Russian-backed officials state that they blamed Ukraine shelling for the destruction. Both Kiev and Moscow have claimed successful attacks in that southeastern region as well. Early stages of Ukraine's counteroffensive are not meeting expectations, Western officials are telling CNN. The Russian lines of defense have been proving well fortified. The officials uh, state that there might be caution in the remaining term of this offensive, but ultimately the U.S., its allies, and Ukraine remain optimistic. The Kremlin denied Ukrainian President Zelensky's claims on Thursday of considering a terrorist attack on the nuclear power plant that's been watched very closely, and the U.S. is extremely disappointed by Russian court decisions to reject American journalist Evan Gershkovich's appeal against his pre-trial detention. So those are my updates today coming out of Russia and Ukraine. So I'm out of news, Delaney. Well, aside from chatting through what markets are doing, I have one more quick headline because, of course, next week we have the July acreage report, which will reflect post-planting acreage numbers. Dana, we're starting to see some estimates trickle out of top brokerage firms. And agmarket.net just shared theirs this morning. They're expecting to see corn acres for the July report come in at 91.85 million acres, which would be down just slightly from March's report from the USDA. Soybean acres they're expecting to see coming in at 87.65 million acres, up slightly from March. And wheat, they're also expecting to see a slight increase here for the March or for the July report. June report. Wow. But Tanner, for those of us that are interested in the historical data, looking at how often has the USDA changed acreage or yield on their June report? Arlen Suderman put out a great little clip this morning looking at that historical data. And since the report was started about 30 years ago, the USDA has only changed their corn yield and acreage numbers eight times over the past 30 years in this report, but 
It hasn't been done since 2012 when it dropped yield by 20 bushels on that June report. The other seven changes were both sides of unchanged and generally just a few bushels. So it'll be interesting to see if the USDA caves into pressure this year, especially noting some of the conditions that we've really been seeing across the corn belts. But Tanner, with eight out of 30 years, I'd say it's probably highly unlikely that they do too much to adjust those numbers. Yeah, I uh, think I've read the same types of sources there that it's probably going to be a pretty inactive report, but ultimately, uh, based upon the conversations we've had around it being a weather market, any type of change could influence the way things turn out. Yeah, and that's definitely the case this morning as we head into the opening session, because as we talked earlier on the podcast, weather models are now showing greater chances of more substantial rain in the seven-day forecast, and of course, the longer-term forecast as well, even with Illinois and Indiana expecting to stay pretty dry. As we head into the opening session here, the July corn contract down eight and a half cents at 662 and a half. Dece new crop corn down 10 and three quarters cents in the overnight will open at 618. In the soybean pits, the July contract down 24 and a half cents at 1490 and a quarter. The November down 31 and three quarters cents will open at 1345 and a quarter. July hard red winter wheat down six and three quarters cents to open this morning at 867. And a quick look at where markets left yesterday for the livestock complex. August live cattle added a nickel will open at a buck 69.75. August feeder cattle shed the limit yesterday at 227.72. And July lean hogs were down a dollar 10 yesterday will open this morning at 94.75. Tanner, Jennifer is helping us out with our interview today, so let's turn it over to her conversation. With June being Turkey Lovers Month, we thought that it would be great to have an intern with the Iowa Turkey Federation join us. Right now, we have Brianna Seltzer joining, and she's currently a student at Iowa State University in Ames as well. So, Brianna... Tell us about your internship. What all have you been up to as the communications intern at the Iowa Turkey Federation? Hi, guys. Uh, I've been just keeping busy. We just got back from our summer meeting where we gathered about over 100 different people, ally members or farmers, different people within the industry. There are people coming from Canada and across the states and where we gathered and we just um great networking and then we also hosted like a golf outing for farmers and ally members to talk with one another and then we also hosted this year a smoke off competition between our two processing plants Tyson and West Liberty and I think it was a great event there was a lot of great feedback but I think it was another way for us to promote um, turkey and we had like a people choice award thing where they could get creative and like we had turkey pizza or um what else was there there was like turkey tacos and stuff so just like different things and let their like creativity flow that's a big thing we're striving for this year like promotional wise is like how to promote your everyday turkey because like a lot of people think of your thanksgiving bird or like deli meat and i feel like a big like job of mine is trying to change the consumer view of like you can eat turkey every day so yeah Absolutely. That sounds like it was a great conference for international members of the Turkey Federation to come and join. What were some of the topics of discussion at the specific meetings held throughout it? 
Um, there was like, there was an educational session and that was, um, was a, it was a panel of farmers of different, like of both like Tyson and West Liberty. And then it was about a panel of five and they all talked about how to protect your farm and your birds from um, high path AI. They just kind of like talked about what they're doing, like how they're working to prevent it and that sort of thing. I think it was very helpful. There was also, we had our board meeting, which was the first board meeting I got to sit on. So it was nice just seeing everyone's faces. I helped with a lot of the registration for everything. So during the meeting, it was nice to put everyone's name to like a face and that sort of thing. Absolutely. As an intern, once you get accompanied with everybody in the company, it is so much easier going and a lot more comfortable to get to talk and really do the work that you're there to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And earlier, you kind of mentioned talking about how to incorporate turkey into your everyday diet rather than just the occasional Thanksgiving dinner or deli meat sandwich. So what are some great advice and tips that you could promote for that right now? Yeah, so I also as my job as the um, communications intern is running all the social medias and we started doing a TikTok page now. So a lot of what I've been doing is just finding different recipes and how to incorporate that. And like what I've learned is that turkey is very versatile and it can take on any flavor palette. So it's really easy to replace with other things it's kind of sometimes hard to find in the store but like if you can find ground turkey you can find turkey tenderloins which like I didn't even know those were a thing before coming here so it's been a whole learning experience but it's really easy to replace like I had my first turkey burger at this summer meeting and it like it was pretty good we found like it's really easy to take your turkey tenderloins or a turkey breast and then use it as instead of orange chicken you can do orange turkey or like different things like that so it's really easy. And a lot of people are like, oh, turkey's dry and stuff. It's all about how you cook it. So it sounds like you've learned a lot and have shared some great information, especially for it being Turkey Lovers Month. And we are coming to the end of June, but we still have about a month and a half left of internship summer season. So what can you look forward to doing within your position the rest of summer? Yeah, rest of the summer we'll be keep um, working down on social media content and those sort of things. And then I'm looking forward to the state fair. It should be fun. I won't have to be in the turkey grill as much this year. So that will be kind of nice. And I'm able to do more promotional stuff. And we partner with the Iowa barbecue store. And we're having, you know, in the um, buried industry building where they do like a cooking, like those sort of things. We're hosting a few um, turkey like cooking things where we have them. We have the Iowa barbecue store people showing us how to prepare your turkey for like smoking or barbecuing. We are also going to do one for like single, like homestead people who had to prepare those type of meals and those sort of things using turkey. And then we're also just going to be helping around being in the animal learning center and those sort of things. So I started planning those activities and stuff. Sounds like you are going to have a very busy time at the state fair, but there's going to be a lot of educational opportunities for fairgoers, right? Yes, that's the goal. Awesome. So just to go back to talking about turkey fun facts, I guess I bet you've learned a lot throughout your time and are going to continue to learn more. But aside from ways to incorporate turkey into your everyday diet, what are a few other great fun facts to share about turkeys to wrap us up today? Something I love sharing because I've been to the farmer's market this past week or like I, I used to do dairy days. Uh, I like sharing that like 
West Liberty Foods, they supply um, deli meat for majority of your um, Jimmy John's and Subways, which like I did not know that. A lot of people think, oh, you need to go to the farmer's market to support local or like buy directly. But like that's another way to support your Iowa farmers is just buying from like Subway or Jimmy John's. So um, I didn't realize how much the commodity group works also with your farmer and how their role is with membership and stuff. So it's been a lot, very intriguing of like, learning from the farmers and even like the staff, the two of them, how they have worked to protect like biosecurity and like all of those different things. Cause I do not come from a turkey background. So it's very like intriguing to me to like, I'm like, oh, like comparing it to like pork and different things, which are very different, but like, that's what, like what I know. So it's been really intriguing to learn that sort of stuff. I do not doubt that one bit. So if listeners want to stay up to date on everything that you've been up to throughout the summer and that are going to keep happening, what are the Iowa Turkey Federation social media handles that they can look at? Yes, you can find us at Iowa Turkey on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Brianna. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's been great talking to you and sharing. And remember, eat turkey. It's Turkey Lovers Month. Well, there you go. It's good to have her back and uh, a part of the team. Listeners, thanks again for sending us ideas for people to talk to. But today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.